22, verses 7 to 14, 14 to 20. And it can be found on page 1057 of the new portion of the Bible. When the hour had come, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, and is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> okay, you with me now? Oh, good, good, good. So for those who didn't gather, we prayed. So we are now continuing this morning our series on Meals with the Messiah. Meals were a very important part of the fabric at the time of the Society of Jesus' time. And they were very important to him as they gave him the opportunity to spend time with people and to get to know them at a much deeper level. And if you were here last week, we saw that with Esther, as Jesus sealed his relationship with Zacchaeus at a meal with him and his family at his house. And today, as you'll already be aware, we are already thinking about a very different meal. And that is the Last Supper. When we were in Australia last year, I was reminded that I had at least six Australian cousins whom I had never met, who would have grown up and thought of themselves as Australian. And this came about because in the early 50s, my uncle, who was my father's youngest brother, had become one of those 10-pound poms. 
attracted to the opportunities that Australia offered and a desire to escape from the austerity of post-war Britain. And although a child at the time, I can still remember the last time that he came to visit us, which would have been to say goodbye. And once my brother and I were in bed, he had supper together with my parents for what must have been for them a very sombre and poignant meal, as there would have been very little chance of them ever meeting again, which in fact turned out to be the case. And when Jesus sat down with his disciples to meet the meal we've come to know as the Last Supper, he already knew that this would be the last such meal that they would share together. And thus it had, for him, and as they would later realise, for them, huge significance. So as we think about it this morning, we'll try and place it in context and think about the background, and then look at what was going on and when it happened, and ask what its significance was for those who were present, and what does it mean now for us today? So, why were they meeting? And as we already know from this morning, they were meeting to share the Passover meal, in remembrance of Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Passover was probably the second most important Jewish festival, second only to tabernacles, and at the time of Jesus drew huge crowds of pilgrims to Jerusalem. And it's therefore no surprise that he had to make special arrangements to ensure that a suitable room was available for them to be able to meet together and where they would not be disturbed. And as we can see from Luke's account, Jesus was very well prepared, as this was a very deliberate action on his part. We see that he takes Peter and John to one side and tells them to make the preparations. And in response to their question, where do you want us to prepare for it? He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. A man carrying a jar of water would really have stood out as this was considered to be women's work. So follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make the preparations there. The Jewish Mishnah, although written some 200 years after the time of Jesus, is very helpful in conveying the feeling of Passover. For it says this, In every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt, for it is written, And thou shalt tell thy son in that day, saying, It is because of that which the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. 
Therefore are we bound to give thanks, to praise, to glorify, to honour, to exalt, to extol and to bless him who wrought all these wonders for our fathers and for us. He brought us out from bondage to freedom, from sorrow to gladness, and from mourning to a festival day, and from darkness to great light, and from servitude to redemption. So let us say before him the hallelujah. And this hallelujah is a reference to the halal, or praise psalms, which are especially appointed for Passover, which are Psalms 113 to 118. And this passage from the Mishnah shows how the Passover worked. Each Israelite had to identify himself or herself with the Exodus generation. It wasn't just a case of commemorating an important event, as if watching from the sidelines, it had to be celebrated as each person had taken part in the original event. For what they had to do was they had to feel it. For it was Passover which had created who they were and what they were as a nation. God's people living in the land to which he had brought them out from Egypt. Through the annual Passover celebration, each Israelite reaffirmed his or her personal participation in the great events which shaped Israel's identity. And it was this event, this Passover, that Jesus was so eager to share with his disciples before all the events that were about to take place that we remember especially at Easter. So, when exactly did this meal take place? As you know, we have just recently celebrated Christmas. And for most people, the centrepiece of the meal will have been a turkey. And for Scots, tonight is Burns Night, when the haggis will be piped in with great ceremony. And these meals, without the turkey or the haggis, would probably seem quite strange and make people wonder what on earth was going on. And the centrepiece of the Passover meal was the lamb. In the account of the Exodus, in Exodus 12, Moses tells the people of Israel that each family is to select a year-old male lamb without defect, and at a given time, they are all to be slaughtered, and the blood put on the sides and the tops of the door frames. And that same night, they are to eat the meat, roasted over a fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, which we heard mentioned in the questions that Max read out. And during that night, the Lord passed through Egypt, striking down every firstborn, but passed over all the houses where he could see the blood of the Lamb. So just as they had sheltered under the blood of sacrifice, so now each family 
had to sacrifice a lamb in the temple and depend on its blood for salvation. They would eat the meat at the Passover meal just as Israel did on the night before the Exodus. And that's how central the lamb was. And yet if you know your New Testament, you'll know that none of the accounts of the Last Supper in the Bible, in the Gospels, mention a lamb. And we, of course, we cannot say for sure that there was no lamb, but it does seem unlikely. Not just because no lamb is mentioned, but also because the meal probably took place a day early. In Matthew's account of the Last Supper, after the details of its preparation, we are then told that when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. Matthew 26, 20. And the implication seems to be that they ate on the evening of the same day. The day that Passover began as days ran from evening to evening. And then John's Gospel leaves us in no doubt that the Last Supper took place on the day before Passover. Not only does he begin his account of it with the comment that it took place before the feast of the Passover, John 13.1, but he also goes out of his way to tell us that the next morning, Jesus' accusers did not want to enter Pilate's residence because it would have made them ceremonially unclean and unable to eat the Passover. So it seems likely that at the time of the Last Supper, the Passover had not yet taken place. And as I've said, there is no way of knowing for certain if this is how it happened. But if this is the correct interpretation... It is given added weight by John, who tells us that Jesus was condemned to die by Pilate on the day of preparation of Passover week, John 19, 14, and that he died during the course of that afternoon. And all Jewish readers familiar with the Passover festival would have realised straight away what it was that John was saying. He was saying that Jesus died at exactly the same time as when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in the temple in preparation for the meals to take place all over the city that evening. And to emphasise his point, John quotes Exodus 12, 46 when he says, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken, which is an instruction about the way the Passover lamb is to be treated. For through his death on the cross, Jesus had taken the place of the Passover lamb, thus fulfilling the prophecy of John the Baptist when he said of Jesus in John 1, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So it was to prepare his disciples for this new reality, which would be sealed by his death, that made this meal so important. So what then took place? As we have seen, Jesus had been passionately looking forward to this meal. It was for him the moment above all others when he would explain to his followers in deeds and words, rich and heavy in meaning, what he was about to do and how they would benefit from it. And as well as the glorious teaching set out for us in John's Gospel and the symbolic action of foot washing, Jesus gave the disciples actions to follow to enhance their memory of him. So just try and picture the scene as those puzzled disciples struggled to get their heads around what on earth was going on. For a starters, they were having the meal early, and as a result, no lamb's going to be available. They reached the point in the meal where the lamb would normally be eaten following the unleavened bread. And Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks and distributes it, saying, this is my body given for you. Because the absence of a lamb isn't a problem. Because Jesus is rewriting the Passover liturgy and turning the bread into a symbol of his own death. And then the same thing happens with the cup. After the meal, the Passover would normally continue with the third cup, known as the cup of blessing, again accompanied by a thanksgiving. Jesus performs the thanksgiving and again rewrites the liturgy by firstly not drinking it himself and then by attaching a completely new significance to it. For Jesus made the wine a symbol of his blood and spoke of the new covenant that he would establish. The old is being set aside for God is doing something new. For it is not the blood of the Passover lamb that should be remembered, but the blood of Jesus. And when they come to the third cup, Jesus passes it to the disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Normally, each person would have their own cup, and it would be the task of the host to fill the cups and to give thanks. But Jesus passes his own cup around the table, and as Mark tells us, they all drank from it. The cup becomes a direct and personal gift from him, which they receive. Whereas the cup of blessing was meant just to express Israel's praise and gratitude for the Exodus, now it takes on a much deeper meaning. And it is this cup which the disciples to keep on drinking. For as they eat the bread and drink from the cup, 
They are to remember Jesus and his death. This must have been hugely puzzling to them at the time, but it would begin to make sense after the resurrection. Jesus then goes on to tell them that he will not drink the cup again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. When he returns, he will renew fellowship with all those who through the ages have commemorated the Lord's Supper. Finally, this will find fulfilment in the wedding feast of the Lamb, that great Messianic banquet foretold in Revelation 19. When Jesus sat down at the Last Supper, he knew how important it was to imprint on the memory of his disciples the significance of what was about to happen. And then through the whirlwind of events, from the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension, the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And during this waiting period, they would have had time to reflect on all that Jesus did and all that he said, and that they would have remembered the Last Supper. As we read in Acts 2, from the very beginning of the church, they devoted to themselves to, among other things, the breaking of bread. And as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, which is on the front of our notice sheet, wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those actions have been repeated from that point until now, as Jesus fully intended that they would be. So what then do they mean to us? The Last Supper has been the central part of Christian worship for the past 2,000 years, across all cultures and in many different ways, from the grand ritual of a cathedral to vast open-air masses as celebrated by the Pope in the Philippines, to the simplicity of a home. All have the same basic ingredients, bread and wine, food and drink, the staples needed for life itself. And in deliberately taking them as he did, Jesus gave them a profound new meaning. And whatever name we choose to give it, whether it's Mass, Holy Communion, Eucharist, which was the earliest name and which means thanksgiving, they all have common features. It is a memorial feast like the Passover, but it does not involve a sacrifice. Jesus dispensed with the lamb as it was no longer needed. For we remember that it is his death that is the totally sufficient ground for our salvation. It is a community action, something which we do together. Just as the Passover was celebrated by each family group, 
So the Eucharist is an action performed by each Christian family group in the local church, as we do so regularly together here. And it looks in two directions at the same time. For when we come to receive the communion, we are looking back to the cross and Jesus' death, and forward to the kingdom and Jesus coming again in great glory. And we drink now from a cup which is but a tiny foretaste awaiting us at the Lord's table in glory. It must be said that we have have a great mystery here in which we will never plummet steps. But when we come to receive the bread and the wine, we need to come with the utmost reverence, gratitude and expectancy in order to make him more real than the Passover meal made the rescue from Egypt. For it brings the Saviour to believing disciples in all the power and beauty of his sacrificial love. The bread that comes down from heaven is Jesus. And this sacrament of communion brings it before us as nothing else on earth can. So each time we come to communion, let us remember that Lord's Supper and then feed on him with thanksgiving. Amen.